Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of DraftSite.com for our podcast. It is just me tonight, DJ Boyer. The reason that we're coming to you tonight, we have just released Mock Draft 6.0, which of course means, yes, it is six rounds long. But also do a little bit of uh, talking about the college football season as well as the NFL and how things are going thus far. I think we'll start by uh, going back to the world of college football. Looking at the standings, latest uh, latest standings and rankings where everybody's currently standing. We're about halfway through the season. Start thinking about conference championship games, bowl assignments, things of that nature. Obviously, Alabama out leading the pack number one. Looking a bit unstoppable right now, but is there a chink in the armor? As uh, quarterback Tua went down this week to a a knee injury. However, it has been confirmed from Nick Saban that he could have entered the game uh, this past week against Missouri after the injury, if so necessary. But as with many games, usually it's out of control, over pretty early, well before halftime, and Alabama was able to cruise without their star quarterback. Ohio State seems to be the biggest test thus far. Uh, they've moved up to number two now. Dwayne Haskins has been absolutely flawless. And uh, if Tua does miss any significant time or kind of takes a kind of a step back in the Heisman race, it could be Haskins that is, uh, is going to pounce. A little bit of a hiccup out of Will Greer this week as West Virginia goes down. Uh, more indecision in the Pac-12. That, that just seems to be... A uh, common occurrence there is we're probably not likely to see a one-loss team come out of that conference. Uh, they beat each other up all the time. Uh, after Oregon defeats Washington, Oregon is really the best chance that the Pac-12 has this time. Uh, but they're on the outside looking into the top ten right now. Uh, they'll, they'll have another uh, tough, tough test this week. I believe they're, they're getting uh, Washington State. So... Even though Oregon does look to have the top quarterback available in this class, if he does declare, Justin Herbert, who we currently have going number five in our latest mock to the New York Giants, and actually would be the first non-defensive lineman, as the first four picks right now are all along the defensive line. UCF Knights just keep winning. Keep out a victory over Memphis this week. They've moved up to number 12 in our polls. Is it going to be enough? Uh, there Really going to have to uh, hope for some help. It looked like Notre Dame has the best chance of kind of crashing the party outside of the the big five conferences. But right now, even a one-loss Notre Dame team is probably ahead of an undefeated UCF 19. So right now, it looks like the best UCF can hope for, even with an undefeated season, is going to be another BCS appearance, and they get shut out of the playoffs yet again. Big 12, Oklahoma, Texas, kind of fighting for respectability at the top there. We'll wait for another Big 12 team to come into the play. 
Texas did defeat Oklahoma. They're getting out that big lead in the Red River shootout. I didn't really hang on and had a tougher game than expected against Baylor this past week. A week off for Oklahoma. Uh, they did get break into the wing column once after the Texas team, but it gives them some time to settle. Iowa State just keeps beating teams. Uh, they're three and three on the season, but since last year they've beaten three top seven teams uh, at the time uh, that they've played games. So Iowa State is going down to some of the biggest giant killers there are. It's never an easy game uh, when you're playing Iowa State, even on the road. I've proven to be one of the more consistent road teams of the Big Five conferences over the past few years. Clemson just kind of hanging in there, but they have their big game this week, their big test against the NC State Wolfpack. What's kind of ironic is after the Miami loss, it kind of opens the door, makes things wide open in the Coastal Division, brings Virginia Tech into the discussion for an ACC title. Uh, but really, at, at 3-0 in the conference, Clemson's leading the way. They get 2-0 NC State, the only two ranked ACC teams. Uh, Miami drops out of the rankings, and it's for the first time, I believe, in about eight years that less than three ACC teams have been ranked in the top 25 at once. So maybe a little bit of a down year for the conference. Michigan looks suddenly revived. Maybe they're the kind of biggest thorn in the side for Ohio State kind of setting up for a, I'd say, a big showdown at the end of the year, especially after Michigan State pulls off the victory against Penn State. So really it now becomes a question of who comes out of the West. It looked like a foregone conclusion that would be Wisconsin, but Iowa and Northwestern really kind of have other ideas right now. And even though Purdue got out to that 0-3 start, they're 2-1 in the conference. They were our surprise team. We told everyone to look out for they have uh, David Bow back. They have their quarterback in tow and produce a much different team again. Purdue gets up Ohio State this week. This could be – it's on the road. It's in Purdue. Maybe this is a, a, a chance for a big upset. Ohio State may be looking past this game. This is a dangerous game, very dangerous game. We've seen many upsets over the last two to three weeks. It's going to take a lot to get Ohio State off of their perch. But if anybody is capable of doing it, it could be this Purdue squad uh, with, with a, at the healthy quarterback position. Looking through some of our other conferences, again, the independents, it's really only uh, Notre Dame at this, this point. Army stumbled out of the gate a little bit. BYU after their big win over Wisconsin. It's kind of settled in at 4-3, and three, and Wisconsin losing again this week really kind of Takes the takes the the wind out of I would say out of the BYU sails. Maybe not making that uh, win as big as we once thought. The Mountain West is a little bit topsy turvy right now. Boise State's up there, Fresno State. You know, San Diego State is is a, a ranked team in our uh, fierce forty. They kind of got the similar players, but Hawaii three and zero in coverage. Nick Rolovich has them going, doing very well. Utah State might be the, the real surprise here. They they jump in at number 39 in our rankings this past week, 5-1 and one overall. Oh, Utah State looking really, really good. Matter of fact, they've more than doubled their uh, uh, scoring for their opponents. 310 points. You know, it's only 143 against. 
So uh, Utah State is not only winning, but they're winning big in most of their games. Uh, you really look at the schedule. The only loss has been uh, at Michigan State, if you recall. That was the opener, and it was a 38-31 game. At the time, we all thought, wow, Michigan State really went out against Utah State. That team's not looking so much as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, eking it out anymore because uh, Utah State, with you know, rattled off five straight wins since then, have looked impressive in doing so, having scored less than 42 points. The Astro level of competition's been a little lower, but again, they're, they're just, uh, dominant the way they're doing it. Getting turnovers, defense is getting off the field quickly, offense has been very efficient. Just looks like a good team at this point. Really got to wonder if that game, they, uh, they get Boise State as the last game of the season right around Thanksgiving in Boise State. That could turn out to really be for uh, a bid for the conference championship game. Really going to have to keep an eye on that one. Uh, we've already talked about the Pac-12, of course, the SEC. We did warn everyone about Kentucky at the beginning of the season. They have dropped the game. Uh, it's still looking like, of course, this is Alabama's kind of division to take. They are leading the West. But uh, in the East, you got Florida and Georgia both at 4-1, Kentucky at 3-1. and So there's, there's some other players uh, available here. And, of course, LSU at 3-1. and only dropped that one game. They always have their game with Alabama, and they play them very, very tough. Auburn's really been the big disappointment here. If you really look at the standings, it looks like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Auburn is really at the bottom of the West if you discount Arkansas, which is kind of the doormat to the SEC at this point. Uh, Vanderbilt, I think, is, is probably a better team than, than Arkansas right now. But... Uh, Big things going on for LSU, and I'm just sick, sick and tired of fans kind of giving it to Ed Orgeron. It seems like he drops one game, they lose the game against Florida, and everyone wants to call for this guy's head. Uh, you know, he pulls off big win against Georgia, big win open the season against Miami. That, that wasn't just a win, they trounced him. And this guy just doesn't seem to get any credit. He even did very well in the one year that he was the interim coach. Uh, before uh, Coach Clay got hired on into to USC. So, come on, guys. Time to give Ed O, Ed o some love. Really a much better, much better coach than we'll be given credit for. The thing is, you really look at the schedule, it's going to be four straight games against ranked teams. I mean, they had the loss with Florida. They, they defeat Georgia. Now they're going to have back-to-back games. They play Mississippi State, currently uh, ranked. Uh, 18th in our poll, 22nd in the EP. And then you get number one, Alabama. The good news for LSU, both those games are at home. It's kind of setting up well for the Tigers. Maybe they, with a win there, they can really make some noise. Could set them up to uh, be the team that has the best chance at dethroning uh, Alabama and getting into the SEC championship game. I think we've done a pretty good job as as far as covering where things stand uh, with college football. We're going to take a quick run through the pros. Uh, as we look here, we're going, to, we're going to look around in the AFC. You know, it was just three weeks ago, we remember, 
The Patriots are one and two. The sky is falling. Oh, this could be the end. It's the end. This is this is it. All she wrote for the New England Patriots of what happens. The Patriots are back in control. Four and two. Defeat the previously undefeated Kansas City Chiefs in a nice, nice 43 to 40 game this past week. Uh, really some good primetime games. Not only that one uh, with a, a last-second drive, but a, a last-second field goal for the the Packers as they played a very competitive game. Best we've seen San Francisco look since the uh, Jimmy Garoppolo injury. Very competitive against uh, Green Bay, but Green Bay pulls that one out 33-30. But kudos, there's been some good primetime games this year, and I think it's reflecting in the ratings. Ratings for the NFL way up. Of course, there was a dip last year. How much that had to do with the Political climate, kneeling for the anthem, lots of things going back and forth. A little bit of turnoff early in the year, I think, with the uh, calls, but things have kind of leveled out now. Uh, people getting used to kind of the roughing the passer calls, and I, hopefully referees are going to be a little smarter about it as well. Uh, but you look, both those games were up over 30% as far as where things were in Week 7 last year. So I think... Uh, I'm sorry, week six. Things are still looking good for the NFL. Things are uh, coming back to normal. But it does look like uh, the Patriots do not have the lead in the East. They are tied with the Dolphins. They have defeated them head-to-head. Dolphins do get a big win this week, though, as they come back in overtime with Brock Osweiler, quarterback. You heard me correctly. Brock Osweiler not being Brock Osweiler. Four and two leads every division except for the West, where the Chiefs are five and one. If you look in the AFC North, to me, this has been the most competitive, not only the most competitive, but I think the best division right now in the AFC, just because the, the line of not necessarily the best teams, but the line of demarcation between top and bottom in this division, yes, the Browns are still the bottom, but a 2-3-1, and one, they're not a laughing stock anymore. Uh, they've actually, uh, if you look, they're 1-0-1 there. They're actually undefeated in the division. Uh, taking one with Baltimore, having the tie uh, with the Steelers, it's a good club. It's a very good club. Uh, I think that starting to lay the groundwork for, for some seasons to come. But Cincinnati and Baltimore, both at 4-2. and two. Again, Pittsburgh 3-2-1, and one. Cleveland 2-3-1. and one. Very competitive division, and there's a lot of divisional football yet to be played. AFC South, it's not a runaway for the Jaguars. Jaguars, Titans, Texans, all 3-3. Three and three. We'll Give it up for the, the Texans at 0-3. Defeat the Giants in Week 4 and have gone on a three-game winning streak since then. Excuse me. Getting them right back in the Picapine things. Colts at one and five, but it's not a helpless one and five. They're not a great team, but but they've been alive in most of these games. I, I, I think Frank Reich has done an admirable job. I think he's kind of laid the groundwork for his coaching style and the team's kind of bought in. Now I really think it's time just to, to get better at uh, some of these positions, get a little more depth and uh Indianapolis again, meaning Division where it's really not a great, great team out there. So, you know, I think there's still time for them to make a little bit of noise. Again, Chiefs are 5-1. Coast of the AFC West. Coast of the AFC right now. 
it's really all about the Raiders. Raiders just looking very, very bad. John Gruden, the return has not been up to snuff. One in five. They have, they have trail that division, but the Broncos not far behind it. Two and four. Broncos have been very competitive, but they won their first two, dropped four in a row. Broncos have to stop the bleeding. They have to stop it fast. Looking in the NFC, uh, the East, not only NFC, but maybe football, maybe aside from the EFC South, could be the least competitive division we're seeing. Redskins actually leading the way right now, three and two. They've already had their bye. That puts them ahead of the three and three Cowboys and Eagles. Uh, the, the only thing that bodes a little bit better for the Cowboys and the Eagles, they both have one division game in in tow. They're both 1-0. While the Redskins are a half game ahead, they've yet to play a division game. So, kudos to the Cowboys and Eagles, even though you know the Eagles have probably not been at the, the level. Uh, that many had thought coming off that Super Bowl victory, one the franchise has <laughs> waited for for a long, long time. Cowboys have really been up and down, but uh, they're, they're performing a little bit better. That defense has played much better than many had had really thought. Actually, if you look at it right now, the Cowboys have allowed the second fewest points in the NFC. Now, who would have thought that? Only 103 points. Any time in today's climate where offense is at such a premium, if you're allowing under 20 points per game, you're really getting it done. Uh, and actually, that's really been the key. You look, Cowboys have only uh, given up 103. Uh, 117 for the Eagles. Which uh, So, again, both under 20 a game. Now, the Redskins have only given up 104. But, again, at five games, they're just a tick above 20. So, I really kind of, if anything's really taking the East is, they're kind of keeping scoring down, and they're not really beating up on each other. Again, it's just been the Cowboys and Eagles getting a victory against the Giants. It was the only division game, so it's done against some other talent. If you look at the NFC North, technically the Bears are out in front. Like the Redskins have had their bye, they're 3-2. and two. Just ahead of the 3-2-1 and one Packers and 3-2-1 and one Vikings with the Lions at 2-3. and three. Hard to figure the Lions out. They seem to lose all the games they should win and vice versa. But uh, some big wins. Moxie's already been tested between Green Bay and, and Minnesota just on the outside there. Big thing to keep in mind there, they tied each other. That 3-2-1, and one, that team against one another, Packers and Vikings. Much like on the AFC side, it was a divisional game when the Browns and Steelers tied one another. That could prove to be a big factor down the stretch. NFC South. If there's any team that can challenge the unbeaten Rams right now, to me, it, it is the Saints. Um, maybe something magical going on here. Uh, of course, Drew Brees breaking all the all the records, everything that uh, you know is really the NFL's all-time passing yardage leader. Much to do about that a couple of weeks back. At four and one, you now have a Mark Ingram back in the fold. Alvin Kamara catching everything known to man. Michael Thomas having a historic start. Season. Uh, think that defense came out a little bit, eh, I wouldn't say great, and still not, uh, I wouldn't say, I say it's far from fixed. They're going to have to win some shootouts, but uh, I think if things go the right way, things could really, uh, to me, they're the, they're the team that has the best chance at knocking off the Rams. 
Matter of fact, depending on where that game is, I think you might even like to see a little more. Panthers at three and two. Then you have the Bucks at two and three. Falcons at two and four. The surprise that was my that was my team to go to the NFC, uh, represent the NFC in the Super Bowl at the start of the year. Still a very good team. Problem is really they're just giving up way too many points on defense. 192. That leads the NFC. But the only thing you can say about the Falcons, there's not a team in the NFL that has suffered more injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball, than the Falcons. Of course. You have to have a bench. You have to have that last X-man up mentality. I think that's proven to be the flaw for the Falcons. Maybe they're not as deep as we thought they were, but they've really lost some perennial, perennial all pros in that defense, especially like the linebacking core has just been decimated. Uh, it's really proven deadly for the Falcons thus far. Uh, the only thing you can say about the Falcons, both their wins coming in the division are two and one. They actually have the best division record in the South. So if we're able to get a couple more wins and move up the standings, that good division start should uh, should uh, pay some benefits for the Falcons. First, the Rams at 6-0. It, it felt like when they won that shootout against the Seahawks a couple of weeks back that they already put a nail in the coffin of the West. I wouldn't say that's really the case yet. I, I still don't think the Seahawks are a great team at 3-3. Three and three. I just think it's a testament to how bad the Cardinals and the 49ers are in this division. I think Seattle stays in the playoff chase just because they've got a number of games against, I'd say, teams that they are far more superior on. The, the, the Cardinals are just not not where everyone thought they would be. Of course, now Josh Rosen starting. There's a learning curve there. Losing Jimmy Garoppolo, bad for the 49ers. Now, they did look competitive again. Past week against Green Bay, but that's just wind out of the sails. Jimmy G was everything to that team last year, and with him going down, uh, they're, they're, if you look at the latest mock, which is a great segue, we're going to be getting into the mock here, they're the team that we currently have picking number one. Uh, we're kind of keeping the same playoff teams from last year, maybe in different order, from 21 to 32. And then also just using you know, records where they stand now and where uh, we think they're going to end up. Once we get around week 10 or so, we start shuffling week by week and kind of going with where the teams currently stand. And that's probably when we will be releasing 7.0. I'd say probably in about a month, three to four weeks out. And that's probably, again, the time that we will start to shuffle. And it's really going to be a week to week. And we're going to... Uh, the page is going to have an accurate representation of where the teams are at that moment by totally being uh, us kind of thinking where they're going to end up. That's a good segue as we go into the mock. Again, big thing is adding the sixth round. But the first thing that jumps out of you, of course, looking at the top of the order or at the top of the draft, looking at the draft order, first five teams. We currently have the Niners at one, Oakland at two, Arizona at three. So if you're on the West Coast, looks like you're going to have a high draft pick. You have Indy at four and the Giants at five. And again, we mentioned the Giants taking Justin Herbert at number five, quarterback out of Oregon. He'll have to declare 6'5 to 6'6 range, 225. Key to him is staying healthy. We have him as the top quarterback in this draft. 
So you really have to wonder, did the Giants stay put at five or did they make a move up? As we see in so many years, teams get so worried about quarterbacks and where they're actually going to fall in the draft that uh, we do see a lot of movement. But here, of course, we're keeping everything where we think teams will be. And the big thing here that I think you take away is the fact that the first four picks that we have on the board, all defensive linemen, three defensive tackles and a defensive end. And really, uh, that's not surprising if you're really following the talent level, the pool. Uh, It's going to depend on how many of these defensive players actually declare because our first four um, on the board actually um, are all underclassmen. Matter of fact, if you look at the board, you have to go down all the way to number 15, O'Shea Zimenez, the linebacker from Old Dominion, being the first senior that we have off the board, uh, going to Washington at number 15 in our latest mock. The first 14 players, all underclassmen, 13 juniors and one uh, draft-eligible sophomore, being Greedy Williams at number eight, going to Tampa Bay, and being the top corner off the board. So we still have Ed Oliver, number one, defensive tackle from Houston. Of course, Nick Bosa, number two from Ohio State. Now, big news, he did declare today he will not be returning to Ohio State. That abdominal core muscle injury of his, that's kept him out of the last four contests. Um, he's going to be rehabbing. I think they were hoping to get him back maybe for the end of the season, bowl game, championship push. But as we're seeing more and more, these guys knowing their value, if, if they're on the fence or if they think they're going to be turning pro or even if they're seniors, they're going to be draft eligible, they're sitting out the bowl games. And Nick Bosa now officially becomes the second person to declare for the draft. The other, the guy right above him in this, that we just mentioned, Ed Oliver, mentioned last year at the end of his sophomore season. He is a true junior, and he has already declared for the draft. Bosa has done the same. So, again, if they do not go back on their word, we officially have two entrants in the draft, and they're going one-two. We have Bosa going number two to Oakland. Obviously, that fills a huge void. Pass rush off the edge. Of course, they lost that with Khalil Mack. At three, we have Arizona with Jeffrey Simmons, a defensive tackle from Mississippi State, uh, one of the largest risers that we actually have in the draft class. Uh, Simmons is not, I'd say, your prototypical maybe penetration at Oliver guy, but he, but then again, he's not really your stay-at-home Danny Shelton, just a big space eater, Vita Vea, who we saw last year out of Washington, uh, he's really kind of in between. He can be that anchor. He can be more that nose kind of type guy, be more of a run stuffer. But he's got penetration and uh, tremendous upper body strength where, where he's kind of a hybrid for uh, how you look at defensive tackles. With Dexter Lawrence, at number four out of Clemson, who might be the most talented player in this draft aside from Ed Oliver. Of course, we had Herbert. Uh, we have Buffalo picking at six. A.J. Brown, wide receiver from Mississippi, of course, with Josh Allen and the investment you've made with the offense there. Next thing you want to do maybe in the next draft is get him some serious weapons because it's something that is severely lacking in Buffalo. You have a new quarterback, but aside from LaShawn McCoy, do you have any explosive pieces? You have Kelvin Benjamin. Is he really explosive? Wouldn't say that. He's, he's proven. Uh, he's had some good years. 
But again, you don't really think explosive player when you think of Kelvin Benjamin. Jonah Williams at number seven, the offensive tackle out of Alabama. We mentioned Greedy Williams at eight, where we currently have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Nine and ten, we have the Detroit Lions and the New York Jets. We've got Rashawn Gant, both at defensive ends. So that would actually make six defensive linemen in the top ten. Uh, Rashawn Gary, defensive end out of Michigan, and Colin Farrell, defensive end out of uh, Clemson. And again, the whole Clemson line has a chance going in the first round. We have three first-rounders and a second-rounder currently uh, with that defensive line and having everyone declare. Looking at 11 through 15, we have Houston, Seattle, the Chargers, Oakland in a trade. So Oakland will have uh, two picks as well as Washington. That Oakland pick at number 14 is from Chicago, of course, part of the Khalil Mack deal. Uh, we currently have Houston with Julian Love, corner from Notre Dame. Maybe not seen overall as the top corner or maybe even top two, but might be the guy who's helped his stock the most of maybe the top five or six prospects at the position. Big year for Julian Love. He's really shown well and at key moments. Greg Little, offensive tackle out of Mississippi to Seattle. Don't know why we're putting him there, though, because Seattle just seems to ignore the offensive line over and over again. It looks like it's been a need for two to three years. They only took one uh, person along the line last year. They wait to do it. Just don't know why. Just the, the focus isn't there, and it's really puzzling when you see the fact that Seattle is trying so hard to get back to a ground game. They've made strides with Chris Carson. It's looking better. It's still not where it was. But you'd think with as much time and investment, especially with the first-round pick in Rashad Penny, that it's time to build that line. So hopefully Seattle takes, uh, takes that advice there, starts to build that line for the running game and to protect Russell Wilson. He's getting hit far, far too much. Another defensive tackle, Draymond Jones at 13 going to the Chargers. Off, outstanding tackle from Ohio State. And then Devin White. Inside linebacker from LSU, again going to the Raiders with the pick obtained in the Khalil Mack deal, with O'Shane Zimenez from Old Dominion at 15. Again, top player that is a senior, uh, really with, a, with O'Shane uh, as well, just showing so well in that stunning upset. To me, it's still the biggest upset we've seen all year, which was Old Dominion just shocking Virginia Tech. He was just absolutely dominant in that game. DeAndre Baker at 16 for Denver makes it two seniors in a row, corner out of uh, Georgia. 17 through 20, we have Dallas, Green Bay, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Nikhil Harry, wide receiver to Dallas. There's all so much talk about them needing a number one target. Justice Hill, the running back from Oklahoma State, maybe not having as big a year as many people had thought, but still showing well. I uh, don't know why he's not getting the ball more in Oklahoma State. Uh, and Oklahoma State, the three losses now, has really kind of uh, fallen by the wayside where they really got to get the, the ball ball to him more because he's, he's done well with the chances he's had. Uh, Cody Ford, offensive guard out of Oklahoma. You have a 19 going to Miami. And Josh Allen, linebacker from Kentucky, going to Pittsburgh. One, don't know if they've really adequately replaced Ryan Chazier. Two, they might like Kentucky. That's where they got a, a couple of their – other picks in recent years that seem to now be panning out. Bud Dupree coming to mind uh, for Pittsburgh. So why not go back to the well? 21 through 25. 
Again, these are kind of mixed up last year's playoff teams. We have Tennessee, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Carolina, and Baltimore. Uh, we've got Zach Allen, defensive end. He's more of a defensive end, defensive tackle type from Boston College. He's, he's played fantastic. Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle out of Clemson. That makes the third lineman um, off the board and going to Atlanta. They really need to improve that front line. Albert, oh, going to help me with this last name. Aguabunin, the tight end from Missouri. He's a guy that's flying up the boards now. And we did talk about him earlier in the season. We're going to see more out of him. Has already surpassed last year's catch total. 31 catches on the year for Missouri. Only a 26 last year. But he flashed and showed you what he could do in the downfield threat. I think he's the first tight end off the board, even though he uh, is also a draft-eligible sophomore. Uh, Bo Benchwazel, uh, the, the guard out of Wisconsin, going at 24 to Carolina. Montez Sweet. Defensive end for Mississippi State. Seems a little low for him, but he's just one of those guys that seemed to slip uh, in this draft. He, he, he's a guy that could be top 10 talent. Uh, we look at 26 through 30. We had Jacksonville, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Green Bay, and Kansas City. Now, again, Green Bay, that's the second pick for them. That's the trade with New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans actually uh, gave that up. I believe that was the uh, uh, a pick from this past year. Trying to come to mind who the, who the target was, but uh, Green Bay does have two first-round picks, and they had Justice Hill first. At 26, we have Caleb McGarry, the offensive tackle out of Washington. Moving up the, the board, funny thing is, he's probably the second-best offensive tackle there. Trey Adams, we thought, was going to declare last year. Had an injury, decided to come back. Unfortunately, didn't even suit up this year. Separate injury. Back problems kept him out. Looks like he's going to redshirt and actually come back next year. Uh, so hopefully he's able to show teams that he can play a full healthy season. McGarry, uh, McGarry was supposed to be a very good bookend with him. Now he's really uh, the prized possession along that line for Washington. Philadelphia, of course, lacking a little bit at the receiver position. We have them with David Sills, the great big target out of West Virginia. Uh, it's gotten better with Alshon Jeffrey back. It makes a world of difference for that Philadelphia passing game. But, again, it shows how thin they are uh, in the receiving department. Uh, they were counting a little more out of Matt Collins this year. That hasn't had happened, injury there. So uh, Philadelphia has to get better with their, uh, with their depth at the wide receiver position. Shelton Gibson's been a bust. Didn't like that pick when it happened. Uh, Devin Bush Jr., linebacker out of Michigan, and Michigan staying on the board at 29. Second pick of Green Bay, they take Chase Winovich. Again, both linebackers. Bush is kind of that linebacker safety hybrid type, kind of a lot like we saw out of uh, Jabril Peppers a couple of years back from, from Michigan. Uh, both of these guys are going to have a big impact at the next level. With Kansas City picking at 30, Daryl Williams, the offensive guard on Mississippi State. I still think he's got a shot at being the top guard off this board. 31 and 32, right now, best teams that we feel in the conference, Patriots and Rams. Patriots at 31. We've got Shea Patterson. Why not take a quarterback from Michigan? You've had good luck there in the, in the past. Now that Jimmy G is gone, it seems like Tom Brady's a little closer to retirement than what we originally thought. This uh, whole I'm playing the 45 might not be the way he's going. So maybe if a player like Patterson is available there, does declare, 
New England's all over him. And the last pick of round one, we've got the L.A. Rams with Amani Oruwari, the corner from Penn State. Uh, really kind of gets avoided a lot. Um, I mean, Penn State's put more players in the NFL out of the secondary than, than people realize. Not a lot of big top picks, but uh, most years we're seeing one to two players from Penn State either getting drafted or through the undrafted free agent ranks actually having people that stick at the next level. Uh, so Penn State's done a very good job on the back end and the secondary. Again, not stars, kind of those day two, day three types, but they're sticking. And this is another uh, player who I think is going to get more pub, more press, and I think that really, I think see his stock be raised really around combine time. I think he's going to test well. A great combination of size and speed. Of course, you can see the other rounds, round two through six, by going on to draftsite.com. That's all we're going to hit you with now. We'll be back in about three or four weeks for another edition. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a great evening. Talk about it. You never talk about it.